0: If there is one thing missing in the modern church, there are probably a lot of things, but if if there's one in particular, it is the recognition of the holiness of God. Um, I wish I could spend. Maybe I'll do that sometime soon after I get through this. We'll, maybe we'll do a series on the holiness of God. I, I just don't think we grasp it. I don't think we understand it, and we certainly, um, we certainly should because ab- above everything else in the Bible, above everything else, God is love, God is goodness, all those things that we love to talk about, above everything else, God is holy. And uh, we'll get into a little bit of that in just a minute. We're in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And this morning, we're going to look at verse 4, which is the second of the Beatitudes. And uh, I called this message, Happy Are the Unhappy. Uh, I got that title from a sermon that was preached by John Stott uh, many, many years ago. And he said, somewhere in that message that literally you could almost translate Matthew 5, 4 to be happy are the unhappy. And at first glance, this verse is going to seem as if it is one of the strangest verses in the Bible. By the end of this, I hope you'll see that it is not strange at all, but it is indeed what God expects of us. Let's stand together in honor and reverence the reading of the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Father, I pray that uh, over these next few moments, we'll understand uh, what it means to mourn according to the scripture. That it's not just crying and we receive comfort from God when we have something that causes us grief. It is something entirely different from that. And so help us to see it. Help us to apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have grown up thinking, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, that is true. When I've grieved and somebody who I love has died and I've cried over that, God brings me comfort. And that is a true statement. He does. That is not the application of this verse. That is not what he's talking about. He's not talking about mourning because of sadness of things that have happened in your life. You need to remember, let's go back. Pharisees taught external righteousness. They believed that righteousness was seen on the outside. It was achieved, righteousness was achieved by keeping the rules obeying the rules. Do what you're told. There's a list of things and you just check those off and you uh, are made righteous by what you do externally. When Jesus begins to teach this, and, and remember at the end of all of this, the crowds were, the Bible says they were astonished, absolutely astonished that Jesus had taught what he just teaches because he did not teach the way the Pharisees taught. He didn't teach the way uh, it had always been taught to them before. Jesus teaches that true righteousness begins internally. Not externally, but internally. So now what you need to do is, let's go back and read verse 3. So, Remember we said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Go back and think with me. I know it's been two weeks ago, but see if you can remember uh, when I preached that first message on the Beatitudes and I said that this is a recognition of our depravity. Uh, in this world, that it is a recognition of our sinfulness, of the fact that we deserve absolutely nothing but everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we ever will be is because of what? The grace of God. Well, verse number four builds on verse number three. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So Jesus says, if you and I are going to live a blessed life, you got to mourn. Over what? That seems paradoxical to me. But in order for us to understand what it is to have the righteousness of God, we have to understand that we live uh, this mourning that Jesus is referring to is this. It is grief over our own sin. Grief over our own sin. Now, when was the last time you cried because of your sin? See, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Realizing we are poor in spirit is primarily intellectual we come to understand that we are spiritually bankrupt we are in need of the forgiveness of god those who mourn are people then who respond emotionally to the knowledge of their spiritual poverty when you and i finally understand who we are in this world who who is man what is man that god would even think about him see We think we are and and we are the crown of the creation of God but that does not elevate us to a position equal with God. We're back to the holiness of God. Uh, This kind of mourning is a deep sadness and brokenness over the sin that is in our life. And as a true disciple of Christ, you and I mourn over our own sinfulness and our own failure, but we also ought to be mourning over the sinfulness of humanity in general. You see, the devastating tragedy of unforgiven sin in the lives of lost people ought to cause great sadness in my heart and in your heart. The fact that there are millions of people out here in this world, and let's just let's, let's bring that in closer to home. Let's think about the people who are in your own family, the people who are in your circle of, of friends, who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You ought to mourn over their sin as well as yours. You find a similar theme to this in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 61. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said. "'The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me "'because the Lord has anointed me "'to preach good news to the poor. "'He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, "'to proclaim liberty to the captives "'and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, "'to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord "'and the day of vengeance of our God, "'to comfort all who mourn, "'to console those who mourn in Zion, "'to give them beauty for ashes.'" The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now you'll recognize that from later on in the New Testament when Jesus goes to the temple, he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he says, The fulfillment of this has been in your hearing today as I stand here with you. But go back to Isaiah 61. Here, Israel is brokenhearted. Israel is in ashes. They are in despair over what? Their sin. They're in despair over their sin. But Isaiah reminds them that God will never forsake anybody who cries out to him for salvation. In fact, Isaiah said he's going to send the anointed one. And that's Jesus Christ to bring good news to the poor. So then in Luke 4, Jesus applied that same passage of Scripture to himself. And he encouraged us by reminding us that those who are spiritual paupers, those who are, what does verse 3 say? Poor in spirit. Will be spiritual billionaires in the kingdom of God. So I want us to see that mourning here is just an extension of brokenness. It's the filling out of the first beatitude. It is taking taking brokenness a step further. Jesus is attempting to get us to see a deeper sense of our sin. It is exactly like what Isaiah experienced when he goes into the temple in the sixth chapter of Isaiah. You remember that? In the year that King Uzziah had died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he begins to describe in Isaiah 6 what it is to experience the holiness of God. And when he saw the holiness of God, how did he respond? He did not say, wow, this is amazing. Wow, this is the most exciting thing I've ever seen him. That's not what he said. When he experienced the holiness of God, he said, woe is me. You see, when you and I finally And listen, you're going to do this. You and I are going to do this. We'll either do it here or we'll do it when we meet the Lord and are judged by him. But we're going to do it. When you finally come to a position where you see the holiness of God, the the response is not wow, it's woe. Woe is me, Isaiah said, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So in light of that, in light of what this really means, blessed are they who who mourn, for they shall be comforted. How do you fulfill that beatitude? Three things. First thing is this. We need to accept responsibility for our sin. We need to accept responsibility for our sin. 1973. Long, long, long time ago, uh, Dr. Carl minninger wrote a book, became a bestseller for, for several years. It was called Whatever Became of Sin, 1973, Whatever Became of Sin. In that book, Dr. minninger who was the founder of the minninger Clinic in Topeka, Kansas, pointed out that there was a growing sense in our culture at that time of personal irresponsibility. Now, go back. I was born, I'm a child of the 60s. Uh, So if you can go back with me into the 1960s and 70s, what we saw during that time was just this free love, anything goes. The drug culture began to be uh, a major part of our culture and things. uh, Now we look back on it and think it was fairly tame compared to what's happening today. But it was the beginning of what you see happening today. Today is the result of what happened in the 1960s. And what happened was we lost all sense of personal responsibility. Dr. Menninger concludes that this lack of personal responsibility is the result of sin vanishing from our vocabulary. He went on to say that unless we recognize our sin and we take personal responsibility for it, unhappiness will continue to plague us. And as you look at the world that you live in today, we live in a very unhappy world, don't we? Everybody's unhappy. Psalm 32, verse 2, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So that question that we have to ask is the question that I think is valid in this year, in this time in which you and I live. Whatever happened to sin? Whatever happened to sin? Because our culture is doing everything in its power to legitimize and even glamorize what the Bible calls sin. If you don't understand that, I'm not encouraging you to do it because I'm not gonna do it. But this afternoon about four o'clock, if you feel so inclined and wanna be sick to your stomach, ride up to Gatlinburg and right in the parking lot of the Ripley's Aquarium of the Smokies, you will see the pride parade for Gatlinburg and it'll march throughout the city. They're shutting down the city so that we can uh, affirm legitimize, glamorize what the Bible calls sin. And if you and I are ever going to do anything in this world, if we're going to make any impact in the world where we live, we're going to have to take responsibility for our own sin, and we're going to have to do a couple of things. Stop rationalizing it. We've got to stop rationalizing sin. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, we live in a world today where we are no longer considered sinners. We're no longer considered sinners. What are we considered? Victims. We're all victims. It's the same game Adam played in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. Blame somebody else for your own sin. If you have a problem with anger, it's because... You were born into a family, and your daddy had a bad temper, and because he had a bad temper, he passed that on down to you, and now you struggle with anger because your daddy, you're just a victim of your daddy's anger. If you steal, it's because you grew up in a deprived and poor home. If you beat your wife or rape or murder, it's because you were abused as a child. And we rationalize all our sin by claiming that we're a victim of something. Genesis 3, when God confronted Adam after he had sinned. Now, you remember what happened. Eve is the one who first takes the fruit from uh, the serpent. I think Adam bears more guilt even than Eve because Adam... Uh, the Bible says that God comes down and confronts Adam with his sin and says, uh, have you eaten the tree from the tree that I told you not to eat? And what was Adam's response? Adam's response was, the woman who you gave me gave me from the tree and I ate it. I'm just a victim here. I'm a victim of the woman, first of all, but even more than that, God, you set me up. That is exactly what Adam said. The woman, that if you hadn't given me this woman, I wouldn't be in this fix. And men have been blaming women for everything ever since. We blame. Adam blamed God. And let me tell you something, write it down if you want to. Rationalizing sin didn't work for Adam, and it's not going to work for you either. Stop playing the victim card. Secondly, stop trying to legitimize sin. We do that by giving sin more acceptable names, it's called adult entertainment. Jesus called it evil thoughts. We call it living together. God calls it sexual immorality and fornication. We call it an affair. The Bible calls it adultery. We call it alternate lifestyle. God calls it dishonorable passion. Listen to what Paul says about those who try to legitimize sin. Who exchanged, and see if this, this describes the world that you and I live in right now. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. Today, preachers like me are regarded as politically incorrect or out of touch with reality. I simply go back to the Old Testament book of Malachi where God said to the prophet Malachi, I am the Lord God. I do not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Things that used to be hidden in the back alley are now paraded on Main Street. And we just sit back and say, "Mm, what a sad, sad state of affairs. Oh, this world, what a terrible place this world is. We're part of the problem. We are part of the problem because even in our own lives, maybe you haven't participated, not participating in in those things that I may have mentioned, but what we've tried to do is we've tried to rationalize our own sin. I can't help it, Pastor. I can't help it because I fly off the handle and my temper is so bad. I can't help it. You see, I, I just had such a terrible childhood, and you just don't understand how bad it was. Suck it up. You have a choice today. You do not have to be like that. Break the cycle. Come to Jesus for healing. Stop trying to legitimize sin. Call it what it is. We want to treat. Too many of us want to treat sin today like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. we got to accept responsibility for our sin. I, listen, I would contend that when you and I finally accept responsibility for our own sin, you know what will happen? I believe revival will break out in most churches because the altars will be full of people who are praying, recognizing that I have no right to even stand in the presence of a holy God. Second thing we have to do, we have to acknowledge the seriousness of our sin. Not only do we have to accept responsibility for it, have to acknowledge the seriousness of it. The Greek word that we translate mourn in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, conveys the idea of deep grief. Uh, it is the same. It is the same idea of the grief that you might experience over the death of a loved one. But to mourn like that, you have to understand just how bad our sin is in God's eyes. See, there's too many people walking around here today who think that that sin just doesn't matter that much. My sin's not that bad. Certainly not as bad as some of that out there. Boy, I'm telling you, I'm I'm not nearly as bad as they are. You remember the story of David and Bathsheba? David committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband Uriah killed in order to cover up his sin. If you go back and you read Psalm 51, that is David's prayer for forgiveness. And listen to what he says. In Psalm 51, verse 4, David says, against you God against you you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight David understood that sin is evil it is evil in the sight of God in order to fulfill the second beatitude you and I have to come to the same understanding that our sin regardless of what it is Sin is not just a mistake. Sin is not just the result of bad circumstances. You're the victim of circumstances or the result of bad parenting. All sin is being guilty of doing evil in the sight of God. Isaiah 59:2 says, but your iniquities... Have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Sin is so bad that God will not even listen to our prayers if we have unconfessed sin in our life. Sin is so serious that Jesus had to die on the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. And it doesn't matter. If your sin is gossip, or profanity, or dishonesty, or immorality, or any other kind of sin, any sin is horrible in the sight of God. And we have to accept responsibility for it, and we have to acknowledge the seriousness of it. Here's the third thing. We must repent of our Sin. It's not enough just to take responsibility for it. It's not enough to acknowledge the seriousness of it. We must repent. We must repent toward the person. Listen. You must repent toward the person who you have offended most. Who is that? God. Against you. I've sinned. Personalize it. After David's sin with Bathsheba, here's what he said. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my sin or my transgressions and my sin, my sin, is always before me. David doesn't play the the blame game, does he? David didn't say, well, if Bathsheba hadn't been out there on that porch that night bathing, I wouldn't have been in this fix. He says, blot out my transgressions. This is my sin. And so he pleads for mercy. He pleads for God to cleanse him. When you and I finally come to a place where we can personalize our sin, we admit we didn't just make a mistake. We didn't have just a lapse in judgment. I have to come to God, and I have to admit I have personally sinned against a holy God. Personalize it. Confess it. One of the most powerful promises in the Bible is found in 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I confess my sin, I'm not looking around at other people. I'm looking at me. I'm looking at my life. And it doesn't take the, it do, it doesn't take the Holy Spirit for me to see somebody else's sin. <laughs> the Holy Spirit does not have to come to me and convict me of somebody else's sin. I see that pretty good. <laughs> right? Right? I can see what your sin is. We make a list. Uh, Listen, we we just all look around. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. That's what we do. But how about us? Stop looking at everybody else and, and saying, you shouldn't have said this because that offended me. You shouldn't have done this because it made me upset. This made me sad. And you should be more attentive to me, 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 me. Mm-mm, turn it around. Ask God, to get, ask God to send the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, what have I done against a holy God? Convict me of my sin. See, the fact is, you and I will avoid mourning if we can If we can, we'll avoid it. If we can avoid saying, Lord, I am sorry for my sin, we will try to avoid that. If we can deflect attention to somebody else rather than accepting responsibility for my sin, if I can say, well, the reason, let me me see if I can explain it to you, Lord. The reason why I said what I said was because they did what they did. And so, really, I'm not responsible for that. It's, it's all on them. No, um, stop. Confess your own sin. Confess your sin. When I personalize my sin, when I confess my sin, it is then that I come into agreement with God about what sin is. You remember the old spiritual? Not my brother, not my sister. It's me, oh Lord standing in the need of prayer. It's not the preacher, not the deacon. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You see, mourning, mourning is one of God's most common ways to get our attention in order for us to see our sin. Well, preacher, I don't want to see my sin. Why is that a good thing? Why do you think that's a good thing? Here's my answer to that because it brings you down a notch. When you and I finally begin to see the holiness of God, we'll put ourselves down where we belong. We'll become more humble. When I begin to see my own sin, you know what I stopped doing? Pointing my finger at everybody else for their sin. Because all of a sudden I've recognized I'm a sinner. I'm in need of the mercy and grace of God. And I begin to see myself as completely dependent on God. When we mourn over our sin, God makes us a promise. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's what he says. The Greek word for comforted there is the verb form of the word parakletos. You say, well, I think I've heard that word somewhere before. You have. You have. Because that's Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit. And so what happens when the Holy Spirit, uh, parakletos is a word that means someone who comes alongside you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes when you and I recognize that we are completely dependent upon the grace of God. What happens? The Holy Spirit comes alongside us to hold us up. You see, when Isaiah went into the temple, he saw God. He just fell down on his face. I'm telling you, that's what you're going to do when you get to heaven. I I hear all these stories about when I get to heaven, I'm going to see mama and daddy and I'm going to run around. No, you're not. You are not. Now you may eventually get to see your loved ones and they'll know who you are and you'll know them, but you know what's great? You know what the greatest thing about heaven is? Jesus. Jesus is the greatest thing about heaven. And when you get to heaven, you know what you're going to do? You're gonna fall down at the feet of Jesus and you're going to worship him because you're gonna finally recognize, I really don't deserve to be here. I don't belong here. I'm only here by the grace of God. When you and I finally come to a place that we can repent of our sins and confess our sins, we're going to get down on our knees and we're going to mourn, we're going to cry over our sin. And the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside and he's going to comfort you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to say, now you recognize what it is to be dependent on the grace of God. Now... You've put yourself in the proper place. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted.